Hosea chapter 13. Hosea chapter 13, we're coming down to the uh, kind of the end of the book. We just have chapter 13 and chapter 14 uh, to finish. And uh, go through this in, in a few weeks here. And, uh, and then uh, I've asked my dad to begin a series through the book of Joel. Um, and so when we finish the book of Hosea, uh, my dad will start a series through the book of Joel. And uh, Joel is uh, about three chapters um, and um, I asked him how long it was going to take to go through three chapters. Uh, he said about six months. Um, I said, well, I don't know about that. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, that's some serious expository depth there. Yeah. So... Um, Eight? Eight months? <laughs> He's giving me the eight, eight months. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right, Hosea chapter 13. Hosea chapter 13. And we'll begin reading in verse number one down to verse number eight. Hosea chapter 13, verses one through eight. It says, When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel, but when he offended in Baal, he died. And now they sin more and more, and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding, all of it the work of the craftsmen. They say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves, therefore they shall be as the morning cloud, and as the early dew that passeth away, as the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, and as the smoke out of the chimney. Yet I am the Lord thy God, from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. According to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they forgotten me. Therefore I will be unto them as a lion. As a leopard, by the way, will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her welts and will rend the call of their heart. And there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. So as we're looking in these kind of closing chapters here, again, remembering that Hosea has been ministering for almost 60 years from the time that we first meet Hosea back in chapter 1. Um, and that's why it's so important many times that we, we really dig a little bit deeper into our study to find out more that is just taking place in what we're reading, the time periods, what's happening during that time. Um, so from the time that Hosea has come on the scene all the way back in chapter 1 where God tells him to take Gomer as his wife to where we are now has been about 60 years of Hosea ministering. Of course, Hosea is not the only prophet during this time. Uh, many of the prophets uh, were contemporaries. You find uh, some were dealing with Israel, some were dealing with Judah, uh, some were living during the same time. Um, but as we come to the end here, Hosea is... Uh, really, if we could say, giving a, a final plea to, uh, to, the, to Ephraim, to the northern tribe of Israel. 
And next week, when we look at next, next Wednesday, if we get through tonight, um, there's, in the, the rest of the chapter is just some amazing verses that we're going to look at um, that really just, they're, they're just unbelievable. Um, but tonight as we're looking, he says in verse number one, when Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel, but when he offended in Baal, he died. Before we kind of dig into here, again, remember Ephraim is the largest tribe of the northern kingdom. Uh, There were 10 tribes that are part of the northern kingdom, two in the southern kingdom. Ephraim was the larger tribe, and we see Hosea many times referring to Ephraim, the tribe, and also many times referring to Israel as a whole as Ephraim as well. And what we find here, with leadership comes great responsibility. Though there were ten tribes in the northern kingdom, there was one tribe that stood out among the rest. It was larger than the others. And so when they spoke, when Ephraim spoke, the other nine listened and followed. Some followed out of respect, just because they were part of that northern kingdom, but mostly they followed out of fear. Did you notice what it says in verse number one? When Ephraim spake, trembling. When Ephraim spoke, everybody else trembled. They were afraid because Ephraim was the larger tribe. Ephraim was the one that was really the the leader of the northern kingdom. And so they were following Ephraim, Again, they were not forced to do this, but they were following them, some out of respect, but mostly out of fear. And when Ephraim spoke, they, they listened. Uh, they, they followed what Ephraim said. Remember, and again, it was Ephraim, even if you go all the way back um, to when Israel has come into the promised land and Joshua has divided the land, um, and then, of course, you have the time of the judges, Ephraim was always just one of those, you know? Um, Ephraim was kind of a troublemaker. Ephraim was always the instigator. Um, When you go back into, into the book of Judges, it was Ephraim who threatened to rebel against Gideon when Gideon was trying to, to lead. Um, A little bit later on, Ephraim did actually rebel against Jephthah when Jephthah was the judge. Um, and when, when David became king, guess which tribe refused to recognize him as king and recognize his authority? Ephraim. Um, you know, and so Ephraim was just, he was, they were that tribe, you know, that they, they, they were large um, and, and they just thought they were it. And they expected everybody else to follow what they did. And so you have Ephraim as the leader of the northern tribes. But again, remember, with leadership also comes responsibility. That doesn't matter if it's a tribe leading the other tribes. It doesn't matter if it's a position that you have at work. If you have a leadership position, you have a greater responsibility. It doesn't matter if you're a husband leading your home. You have a greater responsibility. With leadership comes greater responsibility. 
And, and of course, even when we go through, we remember when the tribes or when the, the nation of Israel split, um, the, the first king, Jeroboam I, came from the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim was the one that uh, was just kind of leading. And so he says, when Ephraim spake, trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. So here is Ephraim. When, when he speaks, everyone else is kind of just bowing down to what Ephraim says. He's the leader. He's the one in charge. They're the ones that are, that are kind of setting the stage for everything. Um, and so he's exalting himself. Ephraim, this tribe, has exalted themselves. Um, but notice he says he's exalted himself in Israel. He wanted everybody to look at him. Um, there, was, there was a desire for recognition. Uh, Ephraim was a very, they were very proud. They were full of pride um, in who they were. And notice what happened through this, right? But when he offended in Baal, notice what the last two words of verse number one say, he died. He was very exalted. He was lifted up in pride. Ephraim as a tribe thought they were better than everybody else and they were going to do what they wanted to do. And, uh, you know, after Rehoboam says, hey, we're not going to, we're not going to listen to the, these, these wise counselors. And Jeroboam goes ahead and, and he becomes king and, and he's of the tribe of Ephraim. And, and now you have, uh, this, this split in the kingdom. And Ephraim really thought that they were in charge. And, and so they were leading, but they were leading in a very wrong way. He says, he exalted himself in Israel, but when he offended in Baal, he died. What was Ephraim's offense? God, God calls out two offenses here of Ephraim in its leadership. Now, would it have been wrong as Ephraim is the, the larger tribe and saying, hey, you know what? It is important that we follow the Lord. And yes, I know that uh, Rehoboam says that he's not going to listen. And, but you know what? It's important for us to follow the Lord. They could have used their leadership in the right way. But instead, they chose to use their leadership to pull everyone to themselves. And they led into idolatry. Ephraim was the one that led them into idolatry. Again, remember, Rehoboam is the, or excuse me, um, Jeroboam is the one who uh, makes these two golden calves. And he places them in the northern tribes and said, these are the calves that we're going to worship. These are the gods that we're going to worship. We're not going to go down to Jerusalem. We're not going to worship where God said to worship. We're not going to sacrifice there. We're not going to follow the Levitical priesthood. We're going to do it our way. And they lead into idolatry. They led them to worship Baal. The very God, or the, these, these false gods that the Lord Jehovah God had been very specific, I don't want you worshiping them, Ephraim leads them to worship Baal. And when you turn from God to serve false gods, it brings death. It brings death. When they were lifted up in pride... And they chose to say, we're not going to serve God. We're not going to do it the way God said to do it. We're going to do it our own way. It brings 
death. That's what he says. They died. He, he died. There was obviously the spiritual death because no longer were they worshiping in, in Jerusalem where God said to worship and, and it was very obvious that God was against the worship of these idols that they had made and so there was a spiritual death that took place but God also said it's going to bring physical death. I mean, we, we read kind of the last part uh, of, the, uh, of the verses here, verses 7 and 8, where he talks about this destruction that is going to come, right? One of the things that's very interesting, because, and again, leadership, with leadership comes great responsibility, right? When you go to the book of Revelation, we don't have time to turn there tonight, but when you go to the book of Revelation, you find during the tribulation period when, when God is calling out the 144,000 Jews, right, not just anybody, but Jews and Jewish men who were virgins, it's very specific there, and when you go and you begin reading the tribes, Judah is there and Reuben is there and Manasseh is there. You know what tribe is not there? Ephraim. Ephraim is not there. Why? Because God said, look, you had an opportunity to lead in a very powerful and and good way. But instead, you chose to lead people into idolatry. Again, this is where with leadership comes responsibility. And they had the opportunity to say, hey, we are going to continue following the Lord. It doesn't matter what Rehoboam does. It doesn't matter that he's going to make life more miserable. We are going to follow the Lord no matter what. God will take care of Rehoboam. But no, they said, we don't care about Rehoboam. We don't care about God. We're going to do what we want to do. And they led into Baal worship. They led into idolatry. And notice what it says. And now they sin more and more. What happens when people get caught up in sin? Exactly what we find here. They sin more and more. Why? Why do people continue to sin more and more? Because... The, the sin that we thought that would bring some idea of satisfaction no longer brings that satisfaction anymore. And so what do we have to do? We have to find something else. We have to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and what you find is, is Israel, again, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that when they, when Jeroboam said, hey, we're going to worship these, these golden calves, they had no idea how far this Baal worship, this idolatry was going to take them. They had no idea, right? There's no way that Jeroboam and, and the northern ten tribes of Israel ever would have thought that by the time they were done, hundreds of years later, that they would be sacrificing their own children. They would be murdering their own people. They would be enslaving their own people. That never would have crossed their mind, But once they got involved in it and they kept following it and following it, instead of repenting and turning away, they just kept sinning more and more and just adding and building on top of their sin. And this is what he says. Now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. 
And now watch, this is, this is amazing, right? All of it, the work of the craftsmen. What is it that they are worshiping? They're worshiping things that man has made. That's what they're worshiping. Those two calves that Jeroboam the first made, they, they were made by men. And all these idols and, and that they have been over these 600 years since, since the, the, the split of the kingdom, all of these different idols, Baal now and Molech and Ashtaroth and all these, these are all works of men's hands. And God is trying to, to draw their attention, say, look what you're doing. You're worshiping something that you have made. If you have made it, then it cannot be a God. If you have made it, it's not going to bring satisfaction. Never can we think and look at sin with the idea that somehow it's going to bring satisfaction because it never does. It will never bring satisfaction. They made gods of silver, forming them of their own understanding. Whatever they wanted their God to look like, that's what they made him. That's why you you go into all kinds of countries around the world and you find people that worship idols and you'll find some really interesting things. (laughs) I mean, some really crazy looking things, right? I remember when a couple years ago we were down and my brother Keith and I had the opportunity to go visit uh, one of the missionaries we support, Brother Hoffmeister in Trinidad. And uh, while we were there, we went to uh, a a temple, one of these Hindu temples there. Uh, Some of you may even remember the pictures that I brought back of it. But there was literally, at this temple, there was literally a hundred foot tall monkey. Anybody remember that picture I had? It was, like a, it, was like a pink, it was like a pink monkey, right? They had made this giant image, and this is what they were coming to worship. And I'm sitting there looking at this monkey, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. Number one, it's a monkey, right? Or maybe it wasn't a monkey, but it sure, it sure looked like a monkey, right? Uh, I mean, the face looked like a monkey, the, the body kind of looked more like a a human being's body, you know, it had like legs and it was standing upright and had its arms out and things. And it, it, was, it was a very odd looking thing, but it, it looked a whole lot like a monkey. And I'm thinking these people come and they, they worship this and, and we can get this idea that how, how crazy, how foolish that is. But that's exactly what Israel was doing. They were making these images out of their own imagination But see, here's where we have to be careful. We would say, well, I would never worship a hundred foot statue, right? I would never worship a monkey. I would never worship a snake. I would never worship a rock. I would never worship uh, an image made into a cow or, you know, I would never worship those man-made images. Good. Don't. (laughs) Don't do that. Right? But how many other things do we make that we worship? It doesn't have to be an image. Oh, they were making these images out of silver and fashioning them according to their own ideas. But see, we do the very same thing today. 
we create our gods and fashion them of our own understanding. We, we allow things to become gods in our life that take us from serving the one true God. Do you know that family can become a God? Your family can become a God. You say, I'd never fall down and worship my family. Again, good, please don't do that, right? But if, and here's the thing that we have to understand. What actually is a God? When we say that something is, is made, is, is our God, what are, we, what are we saying? We are saying that that is supreme in our life. That is the most important thing. Why? Because that's what God wants. God says, I want to be supreme. I want to be the most important. I want to be the cherished one. I want to be the one that, that no matter what happens, that's, that's where you go. That's where you turn to. So what do we do? When we, when we make gods of our own imagination and of our own understanding, we can make it our family to become a god. Where we put our family before God. We can make a job become our God, where now our job is coming before God. Finances, our money is more important than God. Our time can be a God. You see, we can, we can look at Israel and we can look at maybe those people in Trinidad and be like, man, that's, that's ridiculous. Why would you worship a hundred, a hundred foot image? Well, why would you worship your family? Why would you worship money? Again, thinking, think about it. They thought these things would bring some type of satisfaction, right? Is that not what we have, we have been deceived into thinking? Hey, your job, your, your money, the, the, the possessions that you have, your family, these are all the things that can bring that satisfaction that you're looking for. Yeah, it's not in an image, but these things will bring satisfaction. Wait a minute, God says, no, they won't. Your family will not bring satisfaction. Your job will not bring satisfaction. Money will not bring satisfaction. None of those things will bring satisfaction. Why? Because there's only one who can. And it's God. And that's why whenever we, whenever we get away from God, whether it's like Israel or even in our society today, when we get away from God and we start worshiping all these other things, what do we begin to find? There, there's something missing in our life. There, there's something that's not right because God is made to be supreme alone. And God says, I will not share my glory with anyone else. And when we try to put God's glory onto something else, God says, it's not going to work. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to bring the satisfaction and the joy and the happiness that you think it will bring. Because I'm the only one who can do that. Now, please, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't enjoy your family right? I love my family, right? I, I, I love them, man. We were, we were having fun the other night. We were wrestling around, Levi and Brian and Malachi. They were all trying to tackle me. You know, I mean, we have a great time. Uh, the girls, we were out there uh, playing the other night, playing some games and things. I, I love my family. We have a great time with them. But I have to be careful that I don't put them before God. I, I Hey, it's, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to be able to, uh, to take care of your family and provide for your family and, and to have nice things. Those, those things are not wrong. But if we start putting those things before God, they now become our God. 
It's not wrong to have a good job. Praise the Lord that God is blessed uh, with a good job. But if our job becomes more important than the things of God and what God really wants for our life, then our job has become our God. And so it's not just images that we can think of here that the work of the craftsmen, the work of the craftsmen is simply what they were thinking in their mind, this is what my God looks like. Whether my God looks like a cow or my God looks like a monkey or my God looks like a dollar bill or my God looks like my family or whatever it is, they were making their God of their own understanding and they were putting that before Jehovah God. And God says, watch, even to the point, they say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Now, (laughs) I'll be very honest with you. Somebody makes a, a calf and says, this is God, and then says, hey, you need to come up and kiss it. I'll be like, sorry, dude. (laughs) Kissing a calf? What, 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 is, what are they talking about there? It's just showing their, their dedication to it. It's showing that they are completely given over to worship this thing, even to the point of, of kissing it and even sacrificing their own children to it. Their own children didn't even mean as much to them as these images that they had made, these false gods. And so they had led into idolatry. Notice, what did it bring? Did it bring pleasure? Yes, for a short period of time. It brought pleasure for a short period of time. Notice what it says in verse number three. Therefore they shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passeth away, as the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor and as the smoke out of the chimney. What's he saying? There was going to be pleasure for a short period of time, but it's not going to satisfy And they're going to have to try more. And they're going to have to try more. And they're going to have to try more. And there's always that little bit of pleasure to think, oh, this is what's going to bring satisfaction. And then it just leaves you hanging because it's not there. He said, it's like the morning dew. It's there for a moment. It's like chaff that is thrown into the wind as as they would try to separate the chaff from the grain and throw it in. And then the wind just takes it and away it goes. It's like smoke coming out of a chimney, he says. The, the smoke rises and then all of a sudden it's gone. It dissipates. It's, it, it's not there anymore. And he said, that's exactly what happens. The satisfaction, the pleasure might be there for a short moment, but then it is gone. And God says, this is how Israel is going to be. They're going to enjoy this for a little bit, but then they're going to be snuffed out. They're going to be taken away. Watch what he says in verse number four. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me. Now watch this last word. If you don't have this, if you don't have this underlined or somehow highlighted in your Bible, you ought to. What does God say? For there is no Savior beside me. That's pretty clear, right? God says there is no Savior beside beside me so not only did not only did Ephraim lead the people into idolatry but Ephraim also led the people into ingratitude they they were ungrateful there was an ingratitude here they were they were so unappreciative of what God had done for them look what he says I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt Guess who it was that that brought them and delivered them from the land of Egypt when they were slaves in bondage it was the Lord God. 
when they had cried out for deliverance. It wasn't the false gods of Egypt that heard them. Remember, the false gods of Egypt had no power. Remember the, the, the magicians, they came against Moses and they tried to do the same thing that Moses did. And they said, hey, we have no power. You've got to let these people go, Pharaoh, because their God is greater. It wasn't the, the false gods of Egypt that delivered you. They had no power. And that's why God says, there is no Savior but me. And watch what he says. And thou shalt know no God but me. He said, I don't want you worshiping these false gods. I don't want you worshiping these calves or these, these monkeys or these rocks or, or, or whatever it might be, Ashtaroth, Baal. I don't want you worshiping silver. I don't want you worshiping gold. I don't want you worshiping uh, the, the pleasures of this world. I don't want you worshiping your family. I want you to worship me. There's no other God. I don't want you to know any other God but me. Now, why would he say that? Because there is no other God but him. All of these other gods are fake. They are the work of the craftsmen. They're not gods. They're what man has made to be a God in their eyes, but they are not God. They have no power. There's nothing they can do. They cannot deliver. They cannot save. They cannot provide. And God is saying, you turned away from me for this. You turned away from the one who delivered you from from the land of Egypt. Look what he says. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. According to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they forgotten me. What's God saying? It was the Lord that looked after them in the wilderness. After they left Egypt and then even after they refused to enter the promised land. He was the one who had taken care of them for those 40 years. Whatever they needed, he provided. He's the one that provided it for them. They needed water. He provided water. Never the same way either. One day they come to a spring and it's bitter. He says, Moses, chop down a branch here, throw it in there. It's going to be clean. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that just seems kind of weird to me. I mean, we want the water to be clean. You throw a branch in, that's just going to make it even dirtier, right? Was the power in the branch? No, the power wasn't in the branch. It was in God. But he's saying, let me show you something. I can take that which is poisonous i can take that which is bitter and i can make it pure and sweet he did that hey we we need water moses i want you to strike that rock over there water from a rock go ahead give that a shot sometime god says i just want to show you how powerful i am that i can make water come from a rock you need food i can provide that now, come on, let's, let's think about this, right? We're not talking about 50 people. We're not talking, you know, a family, go down to the grocery store, buy a loaf of bread, things like that. We're talking about millions of people. Two million people, at least. Where are you going to find food for two million people in the desert? 
God said, I don't have a problem with that. I'll tell you what, wake up every morning, it'll be at your door. Every morning they woke up, opened up their tent flap, and it's all laying right out there. All they had to do is go out and pick it up. Well, we're tired of this, God. We want meat. Okay, I can provide you meat too. God provided meat. God provided water. God provided uh, the food. I mean, even to, I mean, the, all they did was murmur and complain. I mean, let's face it. They said, would to God we were back in Egypt where we had garlic and where we had leeks and where we had onions. That sounds healthy. <laughs> Garlics, leeks, and onions. Now look, I'm not against vegetables, right? But I'd rather have some meat. God says, I can give you meat. I'm not against vegetables, but man, you ever, you ever been to, you know, uh, one of these restaurants, uh, you ever been to, um, I don't know if they have them anymore. Uh, I know they don't have them around here. There used to be a, a restaurant called Ryan's, right? And, and they, had, they would always bring out these really hot buns, and they had honey butter. Oh, honey butter, right? I mean, that was, that was amazing, right? And I think one of these restaurants, they could bring out like cinnamon butter. You know, I'm like, that's, that's whoever thought of this was a genius, right? But I mean, honey is just amazing. Brother Josh and I were talking about honey right before the service, right? And uh, he was talking about some of the, the bees and things that he's got. But man, honey. Do you understand what manna tasted like? They said it tasted like honey. It was like honey. That was literally the origination of honeycombs, right? <laughs> Honeycomb Cheerios right there. Every morning you go up and you got honeycombs. You know, go get, the, go get the cow, squirt a little bit of milk in there. You got, you got honeycomb cereal right there. I'm telling you, that's it. You got honeycombs for breakfast. You got meat for dinner. I mean, and then you're, oh, if we just had the garlics and the leeks and the onions. God said, I provided everything for you. When you didn't know how to defeat an enemy, God said, I was there. I defeated them for you. They needed pasture for their animals. Think about this. The animals that they had. The cows and the goats and the, the, the donkeys and, and the camels and all the, all the animals that they had. Think about it. For two million people, think about how many animals there must have been. Where are you going to find pasture for that many animals? And, and think, look, look what he says here, right? He says, um, I did know thee in the wilderness in the land of, what are those next two words? Great drought. Do you know when there is drought, things don't really grow well, right? And when things don't really grow well, it's kind of hard to feed the animals. How long did they wander in the wilderness? Forty years, God says, I brought pasture for your animals, I made sure that your animals had food and that they had water. I made sure you had food. I made sure you had water. I made sure you had protection. I, I watched over you from the enemies. I blessed you. He, I even conquered enemies so that you could have their spoils. He said, I provided everything. And what did they do? He said, according to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was Exalted. 
they thought somehow that it was they who had provided for themselves. Again, I don't know how they got this idea because when you go back and look, all they did was murmur and complain against Moses and against God. So how they ever thought that they were the ones that provided all these things, it just blows your mind. But do we not do the same thing? God provides for us and he takes care of us and then we somehow think that it was us that somehow did it. And God says, you, you couldn't even put food on your table. You couldn't even take care of yourself. I'm the one that did all this for you. How, how do you think that this was you? But that's what, that's what we think. This is somehow all me. This is what I have done. Always wanting to go back. And this is what it says. Therefore, have they forgotten me? They forgot me. To, to hold your place here and look in, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me real quick. He says, they have forgotten me. They, they forgot everything that God did for them. They thought it was all them. They forgot where they came from, that they had been slaves in bondage they forgot God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 sometimes we need to be reminded of where we came from oh we weren't in Egypt obviously but watch what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse number 9 know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God be not deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God now watch watch verse number 11 and such were some of you God says you want to you want me to remind you where you came from You want to to remember where I picked you up? You don't want to remember the gutter that you were in that I had to come along and pick you up out of? He says, such were some of you. But he says, now you're washed. Praise God. He says, you're washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He said, hey, it was Jesus that did this for you. Jesus was the one that took you out of that that miry clay. He's the one that took you out of that gutter. And he picked you up. And and he washed you. And he sanctified you. And he justified you. And you're going to forget him? You're going to walk away from him? That's what Israel did. You say, oh, no, I'd I'd never do that. We shouldn't. And yet so often we do. That's why in James chapter 4, verse number 6, James tells us that God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. When we start thinking that we are more than who we are, And we start thinking that it's more about us than about him. And look at what I have done. And look at what I have accomplished. And look what I have accumulated. This is all about me. God says, you're you're lifting yourself up. You're exalting yourself exactly what they did. You've exalted yourself up. You took the blessings of God. You were filled. And then when you became filled, you exalted yourself. And you forgot me. And there are so many Christians today that are filled with the blessings of God and they have forgotten God. God was the one that blessed. God was the one that provided. God was the one that took care of them. 
And then when they're filled, they said, I don't have time for God now. Wait a minute. God says, don't you remember where you were? Don't you remember where I brought you? See, we struggle with idolatry. We struggle with ingratitude just like Israel did. And God says, I'm giving you another reminder here. Another reminder. Hey, what did he say? He said, there is no Savior but me. There's no Savior but God. I I don't want you to know any other God but me. There's no Savior beside me. So what happens? Well, when we forget God, there is elimination. Now, um, when you look at what verse number 7 and 8 say, it says, Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard, by the way, will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call of their heart, and there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. You know what God is saying? When you think that you don't need God anymore, and you think that it's all about you, and whatever idol you've made doesn't have to be a, an image, whatever idol you've put before God that's led us to be ungrateful to God and forget where we were before we met God, it leads to our destruction. That leads to destruction. He said, you're going to be like, like you're going to meet a lion or a leopard or a bear that is breathed of her whelps, breathed of her cubs. You go, man, I'm telling you, you go out and um, you go across the savannas and you find where these lions have eaten an animal or something. Can I tell you something? There's nothing left. It is ripped to shreds. It's, it's, it, I mean, the bones aren't even together. It is torn totally apart. Gone. You, you, you meet a, you know, you, you mess with a, a, a bear that has cubs and you try to mess with her cubs and things. Guess what? Mama bear is going to come out. And it's not going to be a pretty sight. And he said, that's exactly what's going to happen to Israel. It's exactly what's going to happen to Israel. Israel thought, hey, we're too great for that. Look at the power that we have. Look at how great we are. But here's what we have to remember. With leadership comes great responsibility. Ephraim led Israel into idolatry. They led Israel to be ungrateful before God. And God says, all right, if that's what you're going to do, and you're not going to repent, you're not going to turn back, I can snuff you out. I will rip you apart. And the Assyrians would come in just a short period of time, and they would absolutely destroy the northern kingdom. Destroy it. And yet God still, still, is offering them an opportunity to repent. He still is offering. If you'll just turn, I am the Lord thy God. There's no Savior beside me. 
If we're not going to get into the whole rest of the chapter, but in verse number nine, he says, Oh, Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. It's only in him that we can find rest, the, the help and the rescue that we need. It's not going to be in these things. It's only in him that we can find the satisfaction and the peace and, and the security that we need. It's not in these other things. But will we continue worshiping those things? Will we be ungrateful for what God has done for us? And somehow we think that God's just going to let it slide? God says, no, I, I can't let it slide. It's going to lead to your destruction. And you see so many Christians that have made gods out of many different things. Ungrateful for what God has done. Forgotten God. Oh, it's not about him. It's all about what I have done. And their lives are miserable. Their lives are destroyed. Families are a mess. And God says, you chose this. This is what you chose. When you could have led Israel to follow, you led them to idolatry. You led them to be ungrateful. You led them to destruction. Because with leadership comes great responsibility. Father, I pray Lord, you work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, to realize that we have an opportunity to lead in a way that is pleasing to you, in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. Lord, if we're not careful, we can lead our families, we can lead friends, we can lead others into idolatry. We can lead them into that ungratefulness to forget what God has done. And Lord, through that, we lead them into destruction. Father, I pray you'd help us to remember who you are. Remember where we were before you saved us. And Lord, that it's always been you that has provided. Lord, you don't want us to know any other God but you and you alone. For there is no other God than you. All of these other things are work of the craftsman's hands. Lord, may we look to you. May we follow you. Lord, may we be grateful and love you for what you have done for us. I wonder tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a moment, the piano is just going to play softly. Maybe tonight there's something in our life that we know. We've made it an idol. We've put it before God. Are we just going to leave it there? And let it lead us into destruction? Are we going to recognize that it is an idol and say, God, I, I need to get rid of that. Have we forgotten God, what he's done for us? We think that it's somehow ourselves.
That just leads to destruction. We have an opportunity to turn, to repent, follow him, remember what he's done. Joel, why don't you come tonight?